All right, bless you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments, has commanded us to be engaged with the words of Torah. O Lord, our God, we ask that you make the words of your Torah sweet in our mouths and in the mouths of your entire people, the house of Israel. May we, our descendants, and the descendants of your people, the house of Israel, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Bless you, O Lord, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Bless you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Bless you, O Lord, who gives the Torah. Amen. All right, so lesson 25, page 9 on your study guide. Um, we start with the question about the spirit falling on, uh, on those folks in Thessalonica. There he is. Hello. So the question is, did uh, did it fall the same on them, hey Todd, um, as it did before? It wasn't a trick question. Yes. Yeah. Hey. So uh, the word came, it says the word, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So I, I, I would be hard pressed to, to say what that means other than what we read in the book of Acts and in other places, right? So uh, how's this serve here going? How does a believer, especially the Thessalonians, how are they to serve God? I remember a Star Trek episode where they, were, they landed on this planet and these aliens looked like regular people. But they were throwing animals and meat and stuff into what looked like a big stone head or something like that and it was being burned up on the inside. I can't remember something like that. Wasn't there a guy inside with a computer, I think? I think it was a MacBook. Yeah, um, looks like a MacBook, but it wasn't a MacBook. Yeah. So, how how they were turning from idols to serve the living and true God? How, how do you think they were supposed to do that? I'd say it's the same as Acts two forty two on how okay. they would you know break bread together. Okay. In in the prayers. The prayers in the temple doing sacrifice if you go to the temple. If you don't, the prayers are even more important. Okay. It's probably very much like the progression that we've been describing, where you're fresh off the idle train. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna probably start with these four things just right. to make sure that we can shake your hand, clean you up a little bit. Yeah, and then, and then we're gonna just go from there. You're gonna okay. hear the Torah read every week, and you're just gonna continue to grow and be, be with the disciples, and and just become just stronger gonna, and stronger. Just gonna in your rub faith. off on. You. Yeah. Okay. I. I think that's consistent with everything we've seen, and I'm not I'm not reading anything that's differing from that. Um, and I would imagine, and it's speculation on my part, it would probably be the same if you were a Jew and were raised in a non-religious home. I don't know if they had a whole lot of those back then, but we certainly do these days. And should you decide to become religious 
it would it would be the same thing, right? Bal tshuva, all bets are off. Don't ask me about my former life, and it's just understood that you're fresh off the turnip truck and, and working working to get uh, more <coughs> righteous. Well, it is work? it is kind of cool that whatever serve means in this context, Paul does add to that and okay. says and to wait for the son. For, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Yeshua, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So that's kind of cool, because that's an additional tenant of faith, almost, that he's sort of adding to that. Well, you, mentioned, you, you serve, mentioned last week, or the last time we were together, that Rambam said exactly yeah, in the same thing. Prince was exactly, right. eagerly await the coming of Messiah, right. though he may delay, you know, all that. Yeah, so it's kind of cool that he, he does yeah. tack that on a bit to the uh, whatever serve means. It's like, let's not forget this other piece, too. I wonder if it, it meant a little bit more to the folks that actually recognized him as the Messiah. And he leaves, said, I'll be back, kind of thing. I, I'm always astonished when I speak to the Orthodox that are so determinately focused on waiting on the coming of Mashiach. And it's, like you said, fundamental of the faith. That's surprising to me that they've evidently been waiting longer than we have. If you know what I mean, right? So, if you don't recognize that Yeshua is the Messiah, and you're waiting on the coming of the Messiah, they've been waiting a longer time than we have, and yet they're still adamant about it. And, and I, I think we've mentioned before that we've been in some some uh, believing communities that seem to have forgotten that, or not focusing as, as much on it. So, yeah, I think it's good that he added that. Like verse uh, 6, where it says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord. Um, so, having received the word of much tribulation, so uh, that would, if you take that at face value, so whatever Paul was doing. They by large imitated him yeah. to the best of their ability. Right? But I think he also implies in that same thing, it's like rungs on a ladder. You know, the master's on this rung, I'm right behind him, and you can come right behind me. We're, we're on this straight and narrow. Um, the idea not only that you can mimic my walk, but I'm mimicking his walk, and he's mimicking the Lord, you know, so. It's also, it's also in some ways a very Hasidic yeah. idea as well, and that, you know, a, a true chassid latches on, clings, if you will, to his right. to his rebbe, his zadik, because this, he knows the zadik helps bring him. As he imitates his rebbe, right. he's hopefully being drawn closer to Hashem. Exactly. Yeah. There's some there's some parallels yeah. there as well. Yeah. Cool. All right. So we're all, we all seem to be on the same sheet of music. That's great. So we go into. Uh, uh, second chapter there, at least the first 12 verses, he talks about walking in a manner worthy of God. And I'm just wondering how that's, is that different? Or is it just, just another way of writing what he wrote in chapter 1? What? You know what I mean? Uh, I can recall uh, when uh, I'd sit down with Peter and we talk about what kind of an employee he needed to be. And, and I try to stress that he needed to be better than any other employee because he was my son. 
and, and he needed to be worthy of being an employee. So nobody thought he was an employee because he was my son. You, do you know what I mean? So there was a, there was a worthy thing right there to prove that you're, you're worth being here. So how does, how does that differ from serving, following the traditions, following the examples of those that have led you this far? Is, is, it, is it a different level? Is it a different uh, perspective? Is it a different um, <clears throat> um, percentage of righteousness? Or is he just put it in a different way so that he fell asleep? I think it, it's the, the concept of living up to the name which you're now known by, which I think is similar to what you were just saying about yeah. Peter. It's, you know, you've, you've now been changed. Now you need to live your life in a manner that's worthy of the change that's taken place in you. You need to demonstrate that change in everything that you do. You're known as being followers of the Messiah. You've got to act like followers of the Messiah nice. in nice. every way. Nice. There's a high standard step to account. Mm -hmm. I, th I think, to me, that sounds more than just serve. It's almost, I've, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I sense, you know, the bottom rung here, like you were saying, Greg, is, you know, we these minimum four, we can shake your hands, we can eat together now, you're going to learn over time. So here's, you know, at least live this way, serve, almost like a minimum standard. And here, we've got a high calling. I think in another yeah. letter, we're going to read that he calls them sons of the living God. Right? Yeah, so he prefaces this by, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you. So he's really giving, he's really conveying this. So we we told you that you need to step it up now. You know, you're not at the at the entry level anymore. Right. It's time for you to step up your game. Let's see. You agree? Yeah. I agree. I was just going to say, are you guys familiar with a first-century document called the Didache? Sure. So. At the Shavuot conference in Hudson this year, the theme of the conference was the Didache, and, and, and Toby has just published a book on it. And I remember years ago when I was in Bible college, went through the church history class, I remember reading about the Didache, but I'd never actually, of course, it's all in, you know, Koine Greek or whatever, right, right. whatever the oldest manuscript we have, but I'd never actually read it. But, the, but it's actually addressed to the Gentile believers, uh, the Gentile uh, followers of Messiah um, Yeshua. And it's scholars dated sometime between 50 to 100 common era. So it's contemporary with the New Testament, uh, the Apostolic writings, and predates, you know, the codification of Mishnah or anything else that we use commonly in from a Jewish perspective, but um, it's interesting because when you read it, uh, it re it's it's not theological at all. It's a Very practical. It's a practical how to a little bit of halacha and and ethics. So it's all it's got a feel like a pirkei avot. Okay. Um, it's kind of how it reads, but um, but what's interesting is it was it was addressed specifically to. The Gentile believers, because again, it was, you know, here's this groundswell of non-Jews right, coming right. into the faith, 
and while we have in the Jerusalem Council, but for kind of uh, basic edicts there, obviously that got expounded on pretty quickly. Sure. And, um, uh, and so as we're talking about how Paul is interacting with pro predominantly non-Jewish congregations in Thessalonica or Galatia or wherever, it, it, it was timely, it's just timely that, you know, the, uh, I got an opportunity to kind of read through yeah, the case. Cool. Very Did you bring a copy home? What's that? Did you bring a copy home? I do have a copy, so as soon as I finish reading it, I'll be happy to. Is it in out. Greek or has it been translated? No, so in, uh, Toby's, in book Toby's book, he's got it in Greek, and then, they, and then they've done a translation. Nice. Yeah. That's what All right, well, I have to get one. So. Yeah. You, you read yours. I'll get one. <laughs> you keep the sticker on the back of yours. <laughs> Take right. a sticker right. on the back of mine. So as far as years, <clears throat> would that have been going around at the same time as this letter was addressed to the Thessalonians? And that's the, that's the point, is, um, is that document, the Didache, is actually very helpful mm -hmm. to understand how the early Jewish followers of Yeshua were teaching and counseling the non-Jewish followers because that document gives us the most detail from a right. practical, right. halakhic, ethical kind of perspective as opposed to theology. Um, and it is contemporary with everything in the outside. Right. Right. So the, the rub on that document is twofold. One, why did it get canonized as part of scripture? Two, most scholars on the, on the Christian side would say, well, it's, it's the dying breath of this Jewish stuff that obviously wasn't meant to be kept up because it died off. Well, and you can see that in the, in the writings of early church fathers, like Origen and yeah, Clement, Clement, actually quote the Didache in some of their writings, but then by the time you get to fourth century common era, they're like, eh, the Didache, forget right. that. And, and the same time, it's very Jewish. the biggest mm -hmm. theme along those lines from the same guys and the quotes is whether or not to keep the Passover. Right? That's, that was the, the big thing, the Sabbath keepers and the, what's the word, the $9 word for the... Um, Pascal. No, 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 no the, the 14th, um, the 14th day, they, they kept the 14th. It's a, it's a Greek word for 14, I can't remember. It'll come to me as soon as all of you walk out and get in your cars. But it, it was that. They, they were keeping Passover on Passover and not switching to Easter. And as you read the earlier church fathers, they're quoting the Didache, the Halakha is there, they're keeping Passover, obviously keeping the Sabbath, and as you get to the latter ones, the, they're off the road. They're, yeah, it's it Easter, it's Sunday, and you know, that kind of deal. That's gonna drive me nuts. I won't. I won't be able to guide the class for the rest of the time. Somebody else is gonna to have to speak while I go Google that word. What is that word? Come on, Greg. I don't. I, you know, your your Greek is a lot better than <laughs> mine ever will be. So. All right. So back half of chapter two. Um, he says the word of God is that word. By the way, I, I, if we if we all agree on on what Greg and the rest of you just said with regard to there being a a halakhic standard and living worthy and, 
and a high calling, as Paul says later on, uh, to uh, another group of believers. I'm I'm surprised. I, that doesn't that doesn't seem to be uh, the norm. At least when I was still attending your normal churches, that wasn't a norm to demand a high standard of living. Um, is that your experience as well? I mean, I think Scott and I would would uh, would look and, in fact, started uh, groups that would be up there doing that, rather than I think you, know, you showed up and we're really glad you're here. You in, know. In, in my experience, and I've been out of the church longer than I was in the church, but when the church that I quarter decimate. Sorry, the quarter decimates. Okay. That's that's the controversy. The quarter decimate, quarter decimate four ten. Yeah. It, that that was the the controversy that these guys were keeping the fourteenth, and it was the fourteenth piece on it that was Passover. I beg your pardon. I just wanted to <laughs> <laughs> get to um, In my experience, when I when I came into the church, right, because you guys heard my story, right, right. basically as heathen. So when I finally came into the church, the church that I, that I started out in was a, it was a uh, older congregation. These were people that kind of came out of the 40s and 50s and had laid down their lives and gone to Mexico and were missionaries and, had, you know, and uh, were really... Um, apostles in their day, mm-hmm. you know, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it was a uh, full gospel is what the was what they referred to themselves as, but the theology was similar to Assemblies of God. Right. And so they had a standard, right? So, you know, no no alcohol, right. no cigarettes. You think or two or go with girls who do. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I got no it. dancing. <laughs> you know, so they had, they had a halakha right. for certain things and certain you know, um, things that you did, you know, in in church or not in church, but, you know, but it wasn't necessarily specifically, uh, it wasn't necessarily specifically tied back to a particular Torah command. Right. It was just, this is our, this is what we do what we don't do. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. yeah. So. And, and I think that I've been in, in congregations like that that had their own, and uh, I can re- I can recall uh, being elected as, a, as an elder and, and having to sign that I would not drink alcohol for my term as an elder. Right. Um, and you know, there was an expectation right. of, of behavior that, that you would walk worthy. And, and certainly you'd follow in the footsteps. Which is not bad. I mean, oh, I no, no. That's, yeah. that's and, you'd, and you'd walk in the footsteps of those who built the silly building, right? That, right? that actually did do the things that allowed you to have a place to come now. I mean, you wouldn't forget them. Sure. You would see them as a as, as hallmarks of the faith and so forth. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm not saying that the churches that I've been in didn't have a standard, but to your point, this standard seems to be pointing back either to the traditions he showed them, and I think he's, he's going to go through traditions a whole lot more either in this book or in, I just finished doing Second Thessalonians, so I'm, I might get confused, but I mean, he, he mentions traditions, I think, three or four different times. But again, back to the scriptures, right? So you are talking about Torah, 
commands and, and, and so forth. So, all right, good. So, in chapter three, I maybe, maybe I made this up. Maybe, maybe I saw something and, and thought it was there. But if we see chapter one as being maybe a, you know, a, a serve, serve the Lord sort of generically and practice those things that we've got in Acts 2. And then chapter 2, we've got, hey, we've got a, we've got a high standard here and, and you need to walk in a manner that's worthy of this high calling. And then in chapter 3, it, it, I, I felt like we were going back to the, the ethics book we were reading. The Musar book. I mean, now chapter three, he's he's talking about blamelessness and walking without sin, walking without uh, violating anything in the Torah. And I gave you uh, you know the examples of Zacharias and Elizabeth in in Luke. Um, I I got into some raucous arguments uh, while I was still in the church because they were blatantly teaching that it was not possible to live a life without sin. It was not possible to keep the law. Even after you had been anointed with the Holy Spirit, you were now a new creature created by God, and you just you could not do it. Could not. You could not be without sin, or you could not keep the Torah, because those are two different things. I think they're the same things. Um, not to say that anyone has been without sin all their lives, but I do not think there is a problem keeping all the commandments, nor do I think there's a problem uh, walking without sin for a given period of time. And God willing, by His grace, that time gets longer and longer. Um, but to say that you cannot walk without, I mean, if sin is violation of the Torah command, then I think, I think I've had at least two or three days where I'm, you know, I'm 100%. Sure. Right, so right, but that's what Torah I'm talking about. presupposes we will all sin, which is why it says when you sin, this is how you fix it. Exactly. You add a fifth, you do this all. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so it kind of presupposes you will sin, or you but may it tells sin. you how you make that right. Right, no question, but it, to presuppose that I will fall. The righteous fall seven times, but they get up. So, here we have some, this couple was blameless, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Which does now, not mean to your sin. point, right. Right, to your point, if there was guilt, they bring a guilt on Why? Because they were, no, because they recognized that they were guilty. If they had a sin that they did, that they committed without realizing, there's, there's there's something to do for that. To me, that's keeping the Torah. Exactly. And if they've done that, they're blameless. Right. Paul said he was blameless as well, and that was at the end of his life. So, and that's and that nuance is is the biggest reason, in my opinion, why the church gets hung up on this because they're equating keeping the Torah with not having sin. All the time, right? But, uh, but that's not really what the Torah presupposes or what it's saying. Right. It's because saying, if you do break a command of the Torah, 
and you do what it says to do when you do that, right. then you're blameless. Exactly. Are we all good on that? Did that all make sense or did everybody just go, what? Yeah. Okay. So, so is there a progression or am I making it up? Is the first chapter sort of just generically serving, and he doesn't even describe how, in the second chapter, walking in a manner worthy of God with, with a charge, because they're no longer idolaters, sounds like a much higher bar. And now third, you, you need to be blameless in holiness, completely set apart. You were idolaters, you're not idolaters anymore, and now you need to be blameless. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm seeing a ratchet here. I, do we agree or disagree? Give me, give me some feedback. I got a nod on the, on the right. It's good. it's good. Both guys wearing funny hats have given me a nod. <laughs> no, you got a funny, uh, another funny hat. <laughs> so what do you think? Todd, what do you think? Is there a ratchet or is he just generically patting him on the back and shoving him in the street? Doesn't know. What do you think? Couch? Yeah, I, I think uh, he's pointing at the end, right? Yeah. Because it, it says, so that, so that here, here's why. Here's why I'm exhorting you to all these things. Bottom line. He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Yeshua with all his saints. So here's, here's what we're pointing at. Here's, here's why you need to step it up. Because at the end, here's how I want you to be found. Amen. Right. So... My, my hope was uh, that we could get into uh, just a couple of theological terms in that regard, right? So he seems to open to say, hey, we met because you got changed, right? There was this moment of time where before that moment in time, you called yourself and everyone else called you an idolater. After this moment in time, you're now a son of the living God and... No, no longer an idolater. And theologically, we would call this point in time a, a salvation has, a, has occurred. You've been saved, right? Uh, but then, it, it, he's in chapter 3 um, implying the blame, 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 the sanctification, right? Sure. So, holier and holier each day. Which he then mentions in 4. In chapter 4, specifically calling out sanctification, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. There it is, right? Mm -hmm. So we're moving along this spectrum from idolater to holy one and high calling, manner worthy. There it is. So, so the only comment I would have is you know, that salvation at a point in time uh, you know I believed that for many, many years and you know, went through systematic theology and all that. Sure. Not saying that that doesn't happen, but I, um, over time I've realized that I'm not, I'm, I'm not convinced that any of us really understand exactly what, the, what, what it is, um, uh, what, what the single event or um, um, catalyst is that now says <coughs> you're saved. 
Right. I, I don't think so, I agree. Soteriology, I think, is another one of those mysteries where Absolutely. we know it requires an action um, both in faith and in practice on, heart, on, on behalf of the believer. And but then it also requires an action That's on right. behalf of Hashem. Absolutely. And while I can, you know, whilst you could say, okay, on this day, I had some revelation, some encounter, some experience where I realized um, that, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a sinner, I need you know, whatever, whatever it is okay. that kind of sets you moving in a different direction. Uh, is that the point of salvation? Maybe, but then, but then it says work out your salvation, right. which implies that it's a process. So. Which would I would I think Paul calls sanctification. But right. you know what? I I don't think my only point is, is my only point is I'm, in in traditional Protestant Christian theology, it's it's they're fairly dogmatic that you're saved at a point in time. At least in my mm-hmm. hearing, yeah, not only I'm that, not dogmatic about yeah, that. Exactly. Nor <laughs> um, and in fact, in some of the places I've been, if you don't have the date. Sometimes right. even the time and what time zone, by the way, that's important too. Right. Then, can, can you really be saved? Okay, let's let's call it today then. You know, and there's, you can say the date because I chuckle because um, a year and a half ago when Ariel Cohen Laura came to the house. Yeah, right? yeah. The night before he spoke at the house, I t- he got invited to speak at a Russian Baptist church over here in Mountains. <laughs> So that was interesting. Um, you know, translating from Hebrew to Russian, to Hebrew to English to Russian, <laughs> to Baptist, to, to Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he gets to the Q and A, and you know there was questions back and forth, and it was it was you know it was I'm trying to translate from Christian to Jewish, yeah, right, right. and then one you know one lady stands up in the back of the room and in Russian asks. Well, can you can you tell us what uh, tell us the day you were saved and, and, and the experience that you had? Nice so they translated concept, they translated that to English for Ariel, and he's like, "What, what are you talking about? The day I was saved? What, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, because that's a very Christian yes, way absolutely. of thinking about it. Yeah, you know." Um, so it, it's and that's where it really struck me that, you know, here's a guy who's walked, you know, you know he's in his late sixties. He's walked um, at least forty years, um, based on my conversation with, with Hashem and, and 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 whatever. And it, but he doesn't think about it as well, on this day. Right. I had this experience, and I said this prayer, and so now I'm okay. And I don't think Jews tend to do that, regardless of where you are with Messiah, right? But I look here at chapter 1, and he mentions the Holy Spirit falling upon them. They obviously knew when that happened, and now he's exhorting them to serve God. So maybe for non-Jews, we've got an adoption. Kids that have an adoption have a date when they join the family. Yeah, that's true. So that's good. I, I get it. But to your point, for us to focus on the date, to me, I was uh, I was not a, a, a nice man. I was, and, and I, I refuse to uh, indulge in, in that discussion. But um, 
there's no question in anybody who knew me then and knows me now that this is a different guy sitting on the couch. It's as simple as that. Sure. And we don't need to go further than that. Um, I was uh, asked to give my testimony one time, and I spent like 15, 20 minutes talking about all the things I did before I recognized or before God allowed me to recognize who he was and so forth. And I was exhorted by a, a very elderly gentleman uh, afterwards, very privately. Um, you know, you've got a great testimony. But I think you're too young in the Lord to recognize that the strength of your testimony is not before, it's now. Words to live by. So uh, perhaps for non-Jews, we need to recognize that there was a point when we came into the family. That's how Paul describes it. We've been adopted, right? And if that's the case, we recognize that and move forward. And I suggest that perhaps that part of our walk should look just like the Jews who has been serving for a period of time. Was he Bathsheba? Maybe. It's not important anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So as, as you were saying, uh, some classes or years or months ago, um, you know, your, your son just, when asked, you know, replies he's Jewish. Jews don't do that, right? And that's just how he was raised. He just doesn't know any other way because this is the way that they walked in their home. So, great. All right. So, let me, before we get into the, this last part here, um, Joshua couldn't make it, but he did want to go ahead and, and uh, give me some thoughts for class. Um, He thought in reading through the study guide that I was I was implying that Paul was gently nudging the Thessalonians toward Jewish practice or was referencing the Torah on multiple occasions. I don't know if that's what I was implying or that was what I was referencing. Um, but he Joshua doesn't think that he was nudging the Thessalonians toward Jewish practice or keeping the Torah. I, I think he was definitely trying to get him to keep the Torah, but he's, uh, his comment was um, he thinks that the Thessalonians already knew, hence Paul's references to what he'd already taught them. So he sees, Joshua sees his guidance focused on issues poignant to the Thessalonians, immorality and Yeshua's return. And he presumes that his audience knows the basics. So, for what that's worth. I, I don't know if that disagrees or agrees with what we're saying. Well, so, I was wondering about that, too. Because this, we had just gone through Galatians, and man, this seemed like a love letter compared to the other one. Yeah, he was, you know? he was smacking in oh, Galatians. Yeah, yeah. He's not doing very, you could tell, very passionate, fired up, yeah. and just couldn't believe what was going, you know. Yeah. And this one reads much different. It's It's actually filled with a lot of really nice compliments yeah uh and and several times he'll say and i don't even have to remind you that you need to love each other you know like he'll kind of say it in that way where yep. it's like i'm telling you to love each other but i don't have to remind you of that right um but i think what's interesting is it, I, I thought he only referenced immorality one time but yet his theme seems to be reinforcing what they're doing well already mm -hmm. 
kind of saying like, yeah, I taught you that. I know you're doing well in this. You know, I felt like that was more prominent throughout the book, more so than here's something that you need to stop doing. Yeah. Um, even so, even his one reference to to the immorality thing, he just kind of compares that to Gentiles and, and just keeps going. You know, it, it doesn't seem like a big sticking point for him. But then the other point is also prominent as well: the return of Yeshua. Um, so right. yeah, that that was that was my sort of summary of the book was less less focused on something like immorality, but more so on reinforcing the these these good things that they were doing. Right. It seemed like they were a strong tight knit group it seemed like they had love for each other you know um so yeah keeping the sanctification going yeah so okay when when you look at verse two chapter uh, chapter four yep. verse two for you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of um, messiah yeshua and then he expi- explicitly expounds on abstaining from sexual morality mm-hmm. Uh, for the next couple, two, three verses. Do you guys interpret that as a specific reference to the four commandments from Acts 15? Is that how you guys interpret that? I would, yeah. Okay. I was just curious. I, I, do, I think that's the way I interpret it as well. Yes, yeah, I mean, I don't... He's, he's certainly not going to give them commands that are outside the Torah. Well, of course not. Right? So, well, you say of course not, but Folks in the church wouldn't believe that. So we agree. And that's because they understand right. the of authority. Exactly. So so the instructions that he gave them through the Lord had to be either Torah commands that could be referenced back or had to be from the, the four that were, were given that. Is my opinion. There's no other way to be. Right? Because yeah. he can't make stuff up. Well, in... in I guess in the context here, I, I think it my current view is that it's specifically referring to the four from Acts 15 because he then specifically expounds on one of the four exactly. abstaining from sexual morality. Yeah, so. and I don't think the we is he because he talks about himself. He said, you know, I told you this, and you know, I taught you that, and this and that. But here, it's plural. We. So I think it's we more like a like the elders or yeah the baked in exactly yeah Jerusalem. exactly right John and so they're taking uh, they're they're keeping the four right and to get the Joshua Spurlocks it was they're they're teaching the emissaries they're going to the fellowship they're breaking in the bread but then I felt like there was this allusion to the prayers going into the Shmona Esrei yeah that's right and, next. and maybe the prayers weren't exactly taught yet or they knew the prayers yet or maybe they do. But yet this was a introductory or a reestablishment of we need to continue with this and to get set that bar higher. And he mentions the traditions. Right. So that would that would fit along with Acts chapter two that you mentioned before. Yeah. As well as the traditions of the faith. The so, imitators yeah. of them. Um, yes. I, I love that. And I I was surprised um, as I I read these and read the First Thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen. I mean, I mean that's that's a passage that I always thought early on. You need to memorize this. You need to know this. This is what we're waiting on. 
just kind of look up as you go out the door each day because he could come back any minute, you know, kind of thing. And this is what it's going to look like. And I was surprised that, as I read it this time, those paragraphs in the in the Amidah just came right to my head. It's like, huh? I never realized it was that close, and it really is pretty darn well, close. Well, what's interesting is that I, I don't know why I've never clipped tuned into this <coughs> until until recently. But you know, we talk about. Um, Keeping the Muladin, right? Mm -hmm. The appointed times, right. Shabbat, Pesach, Shavuot, etc., etc. But actually, the daily sacrifices, the Shacharit and the Mincha, the sacrifices, are also described in the Torah with the word Moed. Is that right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So they are daily appointments. Wow. Which is why, when you understand that, because we all get the appointed holidays, absolutely. But there's there's two specific daily appointments, which is why, when the temple stood, you know they were very serious about that. And after we have no temple, we're very serious about continuing the prayers right. that accompanied the sacrifices because they are appointed times. Which is why, you know. Orthodox Jews are very stick. They're stickers oh, yeah. about you have to pray Shacharit within this time period, and you have to pray Mincha within this time period. And you know, non-Jews, why? What's you know? Because it's if you, it's like missing your appointment with your dentist or your doctor or your lawyer or multiply by right. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's a daily, twice daily, yeah. morning and afternoon appointment. That's that good. God has set. That's good. I didn't know you used Moed. It's, 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 yeah, in, in Deuteronomy, I can, I can send you the reference. But I just, yeah, cool. I just saw sure. that yeah. for the first time recently. That's cool. That is really cool. <laughs> yeah, the, um, the, the, the way the, 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 the started is from the command that you need to be careful to make sure that these sacrifices are done in this way. And a representative from every tribe was there to make sure that it was done exactly right. And that's just carried down through all of us now doing it by prayer as our prayers rise up like the, uh, like the smoke did. Before we get into like 13, verse 13 and all that, I, yeah. that's such a neat verse that I, for, I totally forgot about, uh, or, or verse, a couple verses above that where it says that we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I think that's really a neat and practical little nugget, just like kind of stuffed in between Again, some it's like bigger things. You can re pull right out of Pirkei Oh man, exactly. isn't it? it? It's exactly what it sounds like. And I, I mean, that is, that I can think of like so many random sources where I've heard exactly the same kind of thing, right? Like that you, you don't want to be looking for the spotlight because your intentions are going to be wrong. You want the spotlight to kind of find you. And yeah. then with the working of your hands, how important that is for a man to, to have some some tactile things going on, you know, that you, you fix your own things and you, yeah. you find a way to, to try to be physical in some way each day, how important that is for a man. 
So anyway, it just that, that's a really cool little little nugget there. It is great. The um, parapeteo is the word for walk in uh, in verse twelve, and Paul Paul uses that in all, in a lot more letters than we remember. Um, he he admonishes one of the uh, assemblies to walk circumspectly, right? Circum in a circle or around. So walk around. Speckly, we get spectacles, right? So watch the way you walk around. That's what walking circumspectly is here. It's walking properly, or the word is actually translated most often as honestly, right? So it's not being honest. It's is being honest about who you are and doing these things so that you may be seen by outsiders in this fashion. So this may be a little entrepreneurial plug here. You know, dependent <laughs> on no one. Yeah. yeah well, it can't hurt. Um, um, when you said honesty, it made me think of a, something I read yesterday. Um, truthfulness, saying that. Being truthful, saying the truth, being honest, is not truthfulness. In other words, being truthful means when somebody asks you something, you said nothing false. But being honest is when you actually make full disclosure. Make full disclosure. Right. What's it? Uh, there was a general in the Civil War that Wick used to um, quote that you. Uh, Stonewall Jackson, maybe that you tell the truth truthfully. Right, it's the same kind of concept. Exactly, right. yeah. that's cool. Good. Well, uh, I I love thirteen through eighteen, so I'm just going to read it out here. And make sure we get it on the audio. Uh, we don't want you to be uninformed. Um, the word really um, comes from a, a compilation of knowledge. Neto or noeo and ah, so not knowledgeable. You just you're ignorant. Uh, so we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, about those who are asleep. Neat deal there. Koimao uh, to sleep or to be calm, right? Um, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. But we have a hope, right? So he's talking about believers that have uh, gone into some type of spiritual sleep or. Uh, um, if you know that they're lying down and they're going to be raised up or they will rise up in the last day, then it appears that they're just asleep and not really dead. For since we believe that Yeshua died and rose again, even so, through Yeshua, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord, that word is parousia, um, to be present, uh, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So the dead ones will rise first. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, if you will, um, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. So there's cry, a voice, and a shofar, and the dead in Messiah will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. That's uh, a neat uh, 
phrase there we'll get into. Um, harpazo uh, means to snatch away. Um, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The word harpazo in uh, verse 17 is translated in the Latin version as rapturo. And that's where the word rapture comes from. So um, I think harpazo is a nicer, cooler word because I'm not a real Latin guy, but uh, even though the name of my company is in Latin. Um, so especially for you young guys, since you've been very quiet tonight, um, why would that be an encouragement to these folks? That's how he closes in verse 18. Encourage, therefore encourage one another with these words. Why would these words from 13 to 17 be an encouragement? <laughs> and we can sing the song. Yeah. So, Jonathan, help these guys out. What's what are these uh, what are these folks ignorant about? What what is it that they're potentially grieving about that they shouldn't have to grieve about in thirteen and fourteen? The raising of the dead. Uh, the waiting on Yeshua to come back and. Every single day we look for him, and did we still do that today? They did that then. Um, Maybe soon in our day, though. Amen. Yeah. So there was there was a, a, a thought back then that if you died before the Lord came back, well, that was too bad. It. You 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 missed it, you know. And uh, this this encouragement is. You didn't miss it. You're still going to be in second place because the folks that have died are going to rise even before you. It's it's not like they're they're going to be. I don't want to say left behind because that could uh, generate all kinds of things. What did you say? Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with all that. I think it, it's also from a theological perspective, but also again what reinforces the importance of the resurrection of Yeshua. Mm -hmm. It's one thing that he was sinless and died on behalf of us. But why is it necessary? Why was it necessary for him to be raised? Because that's the hope that we ultimately have. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and that's the reason why, from a Jewish perspective, the body has, this, has just has the same sanctity as the soul. Because... The whole reason there's going to be a resurrection is to get the body back up again. Is to well, is so that your soul can function properly because otherwise, you know, your soul cannot accomplish anything without a body, and your body cannot um, cannot accomplish anything without soul. And so they 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 are both equally holy, and but the body because of all the other issues in this world is corruptible and will will die but the, the hope that we have 
because of Yeshua's resurrection is that if we died with our faith in him, that just as he took on an incorruptible body at his resurrection, so we will we will as well. And don't be jumping ahead three weeks to Corinthians, but yes, we will yeah. put on immortality as well. Yes. But that's that's exactly correct, and, and that is the hope. He's the first fruits of those who have been raised from the dead, and we're we're the rest of the harvest. So I got you, then you, is, you then you. Okay. No, not you, you. He's just judging. It's that serving the living God. I mean, this is God that wrapped himself in flesh and dwelt yeah. among us, nice. yep. and he died and rose from the grave. But yet, before it was this, this thought of our lifetime is a time to serve God, and that's it. Now, this God that we serve is still living. He was, he was risen up, and he will come again. Amen. And just to have that hope that he will come again. The question, question was asked, how come after you reference one of the sages of Israel that, it, that it's customary to say a blessed memory and you don't say that of Yeshua? Hmm. Well, because Yeshua's not dead. That's right. The sage is. He lives, <laughs> right? Uh, my Redeemer lives. Amen. So, Amen. you know, um, that's, that's the difference. That's the difference. Amen. Um, and, and that's, that's why the empty tomb is so important to us. So we don't need to visit the, the grave of our Rebbe because well, he's not there. You know, might, we might as well go to a bus stop. He's not there. All right, so top of page 11 in the study guide, just is Paul's theology regarding the coming of the Lord consistent with that of Orthodox Judaism? Okay. It's sort of related to your question, not, not like exact, but okay. the other thing that that language in the, in the end of Thessalonians there, um, to me, the imagery there is Rosh Hashanah, uh, which, I, which I think is a hint, in my opinion, as sure. to when, when this day happens, sure. when this event happens. On yep. what day does this event happen? On a day that no one knows. Yom HaKiseh, which is, according to Jewish understanding, Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah. And, you know, he's walking right into chapter 5, if you're following along, and this is this is perfect. So, so anyway, I, I don't know if you guys have heard that before or thought about that, but if you go back and read, you know, Yeshua's, some of Yeshua's language in, you know, Matthew 24, and... Paul's language here in the Corinthians and compared to Revelation, um, it's always consistently as it talks about, it gives descriptions of the resurrection, it's always using Rosh Hashanah type imagery. It's right. always right. sounding of a shofar, declaring, heralding, um, and those are all themes of Rosh Hashanah. Well, I think that one of the coolest things that I've seen, you know, when is, Micah, when is Passover? What's the date? Well, are you talking about Hebrew? Hmm? Yes. Yeah. Okay, now that you're asking me that, that's It's Nisan. What day in Nisan? 15th Nisan? Yeah. 
On the 14th of Nisan at twilight, and we kick right into the 15th, which is the first day of unleavened bread, right? So, what kind of moon you got on the 15th? No moon? Full moon. Which one? No. Full moon. Full moon. Right? All right, so you get a full moon on the 15th. So we count when we get to Shavuot. So we know exactly what day it is. On Sukkot, when does Sukkot start? Joshua. You remember? It's in Tishri. 19th? Close. Pick another number. Sorry. 15. 15. So what kind of. Yeah, it's a full moon. Now, when is Yom Kippur? On the 10th. But you count the 10 days. They're the high holy days. And we count from the first of the month. The only holiday that falls not on the 15th when the moon is full and not on a date that can be counted from is Rosh Hashanah. Mm -hmm. There is no moon. It's just a little tiny sliver and we're commanded to set folks out there that can watch for it and tell us when it is. And therefore, you don't know when the day starts That's right. until you actually see this. It's got to be a witness. So you know it's close, right? You, you, you know it's <laughs> about 28 and a half yeah, days yeah, yeah, or 29 you know it's there coming. Start praying. But until it's actually seen by two or more witnesses yeah. and confirmed. That's right. Then you the day has, the Rosh Hashanah has, has not started. That's right. So another name, according to Hazal, for Rosh Hashanah is Yom HaKisei, the day that is hidden or the day that no one knows. I love that. <laughs> so when Yeshua says, when they ask him, no one knows what day when will you return? Yeah. On a, on a day and hour that no one knows. That's that's an idiomatic expression, right. one would argue, for Rosh Hashanah. Right. And so then if you understand what all the fall festivals mean, and if you expect that he's going to fulfill all the fall festivals just like he did the spring, then it all starts to line up and make mm -hmm. sense from there. So That is very cool. So I guess the answer is yes, it's very consistent with Orthodox theology, even more so than most folks would... Uh, would uh, do. So, chapter five. What's what's uh, just to, to close it out here? Um, why do you suppose we've got this after after the first eleven verses where he's he's continuing on the same theme? Um, verse twelve. Uh, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the fainthearted, and so forth. What, what, what do you think's up there? To your point, Gregory, he, he's been always saying, you know, you're doing, you're doing really great. He doesn't mention that they're doing this great. It's almost like... By the way, just, I just got this like 57 things I just want to walk through. Make sure you do this and do this and do this and do this. Well, these, this, these all seem 
to be in a, in a general category, right? Respecting those who labor over you, esteeming them highly, be at peace. Those who have charge over you. Yeah. And give you instruction. Yeah. I mean, to me, that sounds like a very rabbinic kind Very of specific, idea, right? right? Yeah. These, these are the elders that are there over you and that care for you and protect you. And in other letters, he's going to talk about them being shepherds and overseers of your soul, right? So this is, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a whole rabbinic concept. Is this not consistent with what you would expect to hear from someone who's, who's can't be there and wants to make sure that you're I mean, I guess another way to put it would be to stay under God-given authority. Um, and we won't even get into quenching the Spirit. Um, in the end of this thing, I think it is, verse 27, I put you under oath before the Lord, to have this letter read to all the brothers. What do you think of that? That's uh, that's 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 pretty heavy because if you know the Torah around oaths and vows, he's but, saying better that you he's not. saying <laughs> you're under oath to do this, and if you don't do it, it's a sin for you. Kind of reminded me of the letter of Rambam too. You know, it's at the end of it, he says, "Read this once a week, and you'll be good to go." Yeah. You know, like I mean, he has yeah. a. It's like the end of the letter reminds you to read the letter. Like obviously, you, if you got to that point, you've read the letter, but th that's not enough. It's either adding a frequency to it, or in this case, reading it before all of them, yeah. not just whoever yeah. happened to get the letter. I, I I never saw that verse before in my life. And I'm a big Thessalonians fan. I've taught out of Thessalonians a lot, but I, I have never seen that before. I just never noticed it before. But yeah, it's a serious thing. And to me, it just makes it... I, I just don't think he would have any way in his, in his culture to say, this is so darn important, you all have to read it. This has to be a part of all of you and your walk. You've got to read it. Um, to use a, 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 a different term that has similar connotation, I mean, not exact connotation, but similar, is he basically bound them yes. right. to make sure this was read and shared with everybody in that community. Exactly right, yeah. Cool, good stuff. Okay. So just I tried to give you a little bit of the backstory there. Um, Timothy was left there, and uh, some folks must have died. And he reported back to Paul that these these guys are heartbroken, thinking they're not going to be in the kingdom because they they died too soon. So um, we'll close up with uh, number three there uh, at the end of the study guide chapter. Do you? Do you pray for the coming of the Lord every day? And aside from what we read, from what we pray in the Amidah, I mean, is there 
Is there anything else that you're adding in there? I mean, is there a personal request, like, come before I die? I'm, I'm just thinking of Simeon, right? Or, or, or uh, what was the old lady? Was it Hannah? Who's the old lady? If you pray the Amina, you do. Right, 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 right. No, I'm saying outside the, the normal prayers. Who's the old lady in the temple? Hannah? No. Uh, it wasn't Hannah. Um, you know what I'm talking about, right? She was, she, was, she, was, she was a widow for 84 yeah, years. She's yeah. there all the time. So he who's with Shimon? Yeah. yeah. Well, they're mentioned in the same, you know, three or four verses apart. I can't believe this. We, didn't we just read this a couple of months ago? Yeah, like in the middle of the night or on your on your way home. Right. Yeah. Can you find it? She was always in the temple. Yeah. Anna. Uh, oh, it wasn't Hannah, it was Anna. Yeah. I was like Banana. Anna. Hannah banana. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um I, I was reminded uh I was reminded of those two, and, and they, I guess they seem to be living it out and almost living that prayer, and I, I don't know, I, I think other than the, the, the normal prayers, I just wonder, back to Ram Baum's, you know, uh, principles of the faith, is it, is it not foremost in our minds? as it evidently was in their minds and in, in, in the way Paul puts it. Well, I, based on several of you guys in this room, I have tried really hard to remember doing the Lord's Prayer right. in addition yeah. to Shakarit, and that right there has it has it all. Yeah. I mean, well, it's that kingdom come that will be done. Right, that's what's the, the Amin, right? Our Father. So yeah. the Didache actually adjures Followers of Yeshua to pray the Aminu three times daily. Is that right? Wow. Huh. So, oh, that's cool. so presumably that was a custom and a practice in the Messianic community mm -hmm. in the first century. Wow. And um, and most likely was tacked on to the end of the, of the Amidah. Hmm. So. I think that's cool. Very cool. So, we've, uh, Joshua and I have actually started to, because we pray each Friday morning, we've actually started remembering uh, Lot's wife. For some reason, like Yeshua has this quote, like direct quote, where he says, and remember Lot's wife. Uh, you know, and you think like, where else have we been commanded to remember things? Oh, there's six times, you know? So we actually always add that one too. Yeah. And it reminds that? us of the command from Yeshua, which then reminds us that Yeshua's coming. So there's a little bit, there's a little bit of that. That's, that's cool. That's cool. Why don't you uh, grab a sitter out of there or off your phone and give us the evening? I've got one kind of unrelated question, but I'd love to just get some quick feedback. Apostles. In the Hebrew, right? Uh, what is the esteem among the esteemed brethren? Do we have do we have apostles among us 
today, and I don't mean it just in the generic sense of someone who's been dispatched, but more in that kind of first century sense of do we do we have apostles in in that same sense today? Yes or no? What what's you guys have a view on that? There's not a right or wrong answer, but right. I'm just curious. My, my, my answer is no. I think that uh, you know the, the whole broke the mold thing uh, is, is the way I see it. Um, it's like saying, are there, are there any other tribes I mean, besides the, the original 12, are there any other tribes? Well, no, there's not. They're, they're the descendants of those tribes. And, well, the heads of those tribes. There's other heads that are listed, but the, the tribes are named. And those tribes, you need to fall into one of those. And they were the, the heads. And in the same way, and, and the only reason I'm putting them together like that is because it's that way, as you know, in, in uh, Revelation, when we, we look at the, the, the New Jerusalem has 12 foundation stones, and it has 12 gates. I sometimes get it backwards if I mess it up. Yeah, right. Correct me, right? So the 12 foundation stones are the 12 apostles. Not the 13. We're not extra folks. Squitcherini's not in the list. And then the 12 gates are named for the 12 tribes. And it's, it's like the mole's been busted. We're done. You can't have more. But just as the tribes of Israel are still being led, and just as there are assemblies as there were before the diaspora, even throughout Israel, I think there's elders and Minhag and Hoskim and so forth that guide us in our walk. But, I mean, my final comment would be, if there are no apostles, then the foundations and the traditions and uh, what has been laid down is even more important for us to, to follow. Because if we're not walking in those steps, then we're in a different religion and we're, we're not part of either 12, I would say. That's my point. It's a tag onto that. Dovetail. It dovetail off of that. I'll be going through Judah's gate because of Yeshua. Okay. Same as all of us. With his teachings to the apostles and <coughs> us studying those teachings and those teachings telling us to go out, are we not kind of that in a way as well? In a messianic well, sense. Well, but so if you think about the five offices that are kind of handed down in the Apostolic Scriptures, there's apostles, evangelists, teachers, pastors, shepherds, and prophets. Mm -hmm. So being sent out to preach the good news traditionally would, you know, traditionally, at least the way I was always taught, would categorically sort of be the job of the evangelist, right? Um, um, whereas an apostle is also sent. But um, I, I guess, I'm not saying there aren't apostles, but I guess to me it's so 
clear that the apostles, the twelve apostles, and maybe and maybe the the seventy that were also kind of that next layer. Um, but maybe, but the twelve. I mean, there hasn't been another apostle whose shadow falls on people and they're healed. Right? I mean, if you think about just the signs and the wonders and the miracles that accompany the apostles in that day, um, I would argue that we haven't we have not seen that. Since, but not that there hasn't been miracles. Yeah, but I, but I don't think it's a good argument. Even if there were, Greg, right. I don't think we could call them apostles because if we could, then we would see in the scripture where some of the guys that were sent, they're called disciples. They're not called apostles. Well, they're all disciples. Right, but the apostles were clearly identified as, as those 12 or 13 or 14. I mean, Right. What, what about the guy that we never hear from again? Paul calls himself an apostle, right. born out of season. So the twelfth one appears to be Shaul, not the guy they chose. But regardless of that argument, well, he chose them. He just yeah. chose them <laughs> a few years later. Right. On the right. Trade, right. Um, but the the rest of the folks that we read about are are not called apostles, and yet they were called. Some were sent, you know, and that kind of thing. Right. Barnabas was not an apostle. He was a disciple. He was, he was definitely, yeah. and he was definitely, he was definitely a shliach. He was a sent one in the sense that he was dispatched for a purpose. But apostle, that there's there's something. I agree. I think I'm with you on that. That there's something unique about those twelve. Those twelve apostles. guys. Right? Yeah. So yeah. you have to have that encounter with Yeshua personally. Paul had that encounter with Yeshua personally in a vision. So today, if we have a personal experience with Yeshua in a vision, is that not the same? Yeah, I'm, I'm not discounting. And that's, I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying that from a biblical perspective, there's twelve, and there was a lot of time. The master was killed. In what, 33 30, in the common 30, era? 30, 30, 30 in the common era? Either way, the last book was written in like 90, 95, 98 of the common era. You've got, you've got a lot of years, 60 years there. Only those 12 were called apostles. So it's not that, you know, from a, from a being sent perspective or having a mission or having a, a spiritual gift or being in a role where you're teaching or leading yeah, I mean, we're all followers. We're all Disciples. students of the Master. Um, but I would say that, that that title been reserved, either that you'd need more foundation stones. You know, there's only 12. On your point about the offices, I've heard it described, kind of like this description, that the prophets are the index finger because they point the... Evangelist is the middle finger that stands up taller than everyone everyone else. I thought he was going to go through single fingers, and I was going to say, this is going to get rough here in a minute. You know. <laughs> the, the pastor is married to the church, is what they say. You know, has the compassion. It's the wedding ring. Um, the teacher is the smallest, but not the least important. 
and then the apostle is the opposing thumb that can touch all those four and he can function in all the different offices. I can't wait for us to get to that and talk about it. He's cool. Yeah, I, I was waiting for the word deacon. Is, it, is that one of the ones that are supposed to come in there? Because it's definitely a special word used by Paul. Yeah, but deacon is, is not one of the... It's not, it's not it's not a quote that he's... Okay. Deacon, I think, would ultimately translate back to Zachan, elder. Okay. Because you have bishops, and, you know, to use the English, mm-hmm. and yeah. you have deacons. One of them. Bishop. Bishop. Would one be of them translates Zachan. back. Bishop would be Zachan. Would be the elder. Oh, well, okay, so Bishop is yeah. Zachan, and this would be the diaconos. Would be uh, the doulos, the uh, um, the servant. What, what is Shamash. it? Shamash. Shamash can right. Yeah. The helper, right? Okay. So, hmm. Different quote. Yeah. But you know, we're, yeah, from different okay. areas, okay. Uh, and and in in all these cases, we're pretty much quoting Paul. Yeah. So we're we're about to hit all his stuff and, and walk through them there and, and and knock him out. So cool. So an apostle would not be able to lie, right? And I see signs all over Charlotte of apostles, um, but they are very rare. We probably only have five hundred to a thousand in that's the Charlotte right. area. That's right. Just here. That's it. That's, that's, that's great. That's great. Thank you for indulging my question. No, that's good. That's cool. That's great. So, uh, you want to close us with the uh, Avino there, bud? You, you, you are meaning the Our Father. Who I, yeah. 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 Why well, don't That's not in the sitter. You said grab the sitter. Well, I thought you had like an extra piece that you threw onto no, your sitter. No, no. Yeah. I mean, I, I usually just quote it from the, the uh, King James for well, some reason. You know, you, you feel. <laughs> yeah. I, wait, that's now, the, now, let's talk about heresy. Gee, <laughs> which. It harkens back to my, my childhood. I, I, it's very. Nostalgic. Well, you did use uh, so maybe, <laughs> maybe this is the is next prayer we're going to learn in Hebrew. Hey, I think that would be great. I'll tell you what would do it is if there was a song for it. I've yeah. got a song for it. Oh, you got a song for it. Yeah. I, we we do the, um, every night with the kids, we do the English of the, the, the first was designed, I think it was one that they came up with that tune. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah. oh, you gotta you, share that. Did you out. sing that last Shabbat or a couple of Shabbats ago? What'd you sing with your phone? Oh no, no, no. we did the Burkhan. Oh, the Burkhan yeah. thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, so I thought she's gonna put you on the spot and give us a long, another bass yeah. deal here. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, we do that all the time. Though it's it's great, and that is the King James, isn't it not? Yeah, our Father who art in heaven. Yeah, yeah. So, um, can you sing a song? You don't want to sing it very soon. I need the I need the Hebrew. You got uh, you got do you have Dutch Gospels? Yeah. Grab me Dutch Gospels and I can belt Left it out. hand side, <laughs> left, all the way left, middle, fourth book from the left. Hey. You can say it if you want. Say it, sing it. I'll, uh, I'll attempt to sing it with my raspy voice, but... It's that sexy voice, come on. Avinu Shabbat Shamaim Yitkadesh Mecha Tavo Malkutecha Yehaser Zonecha Kaasher Bashamaim Gamba Aretz Et Lachem 
חוקנו, תן לנו היום, ומחלנו ארבותינו, כאשר מחלנו, גם אנחנו נחיינו, ועצבינו לידי ניסיון, כי אם תחלצנו מן הרע, כי לך הממלכה. והגבורה והתפלת לעולם מעולמים, אמן. אמן. Uh, All right. right. God bless you guys. Thank you. Um...